Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome our guest, Mike Arietta, who is VP of the Telecom Media and Utility Sector at DocuSign. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Jeremy. Look forward to our conversation today. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, what's your favorite sales or leadership book of all time? And, and what was your key takeaway from that? For my favorite leadership book in terms of what I've gained the most value from, it's actually the Bible, predominantly just because of the golden rule of treating others the way that you would like to be treated. So it's just jam-packed with so much lessons of treating others, um, loving on others, leading people, humility, working there with excellence, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd have to say the Bible. You mentioned the golden rule in there, and I definitely try to live by the golden rule. And I once read a book that talked about the platinum rule, which was do unto others as they would have done unto themselves, which my wife reminds me of a lot to just make sure that I am not just you know, thinking about how I would want things to be done, but what she would want, what others would want. I think it's a really good rule. Another way to look at it is team over self or others over self. So it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less, right? Do you use different language at work? Do you call people leaders, bosses, managers? Is there a particular language you prefer to use? Words matter. So I don't um, use the words employee. I don't use the word boss. I don't use the words of managers, right? So a way that I always see it is I don't know how you could be a leader if you're not a servant, right? So it's really serving my team in all capacities. And in all my interviews, what I tell our team members is I work for you, right? So I serve you in every capacity that I possibly can, right? And so what that looks like is we're on the battlefield together and I'm behind you anytime that you need me to, or I'll be in front of you anytime you need me to, but I'm at your service. So you tell me how. And if it ever feels like you are working for me, it's probably because uh, you're not doing your job to the best of your ability. So hopefully out of our entire relationship, 99% of the time, it feels like I'm working for you versus the traditional other way around. On that note, have you ever hired somebody and then found out that they kind of had that control bug in them and that they were lording themselves over their people? There's a company out in Silicon Valley, whenever they hire leaders, right, prior to actually their start date, they have them come in for kind of a trial period to see how exactly they work in the team environment and see how they actually lead a team and are they a servant type leader or not. We don't go through that same type of process at DocuSign, although I see kind of the benefit of that, and nor do we go through the same type of process at our charity of News Story through that, though I see the benefit of it. So many times you just take the best leader that you could find and through the many multiple type of interviews that you've had with that candidate, trying to have your best judgment on it, sometimes you hire somebody that is more of a, what the world would call a micromanager or hands-on type of manager. And one of our core values of our team is open, direct, and honest communication. So we love productive conflict, right? So we thrive on productive conflict. And so our managers know that if you're doing something that has improvement, we're going to talk about it very, very quickly. We're not going to allow it to get moldy in dark corners. We're going to bring it out into the open as quick as possible. So if we do see that a leader is a little bit more in control than they ought to be, right? We'll just work through that from day one. 
if you can remember the first thing you ever sold, what was it that you sold and what was that like? The first real thing I sold was when I was 16 years old and I started selling Cutco knives. So a lot of people here in the United States are familiar with Cutco knives because you always have the college kids coming to your house and selling you knives. And so that was me. I started in high school. I'd started really just selling to all my friends' parents in my junior year of high school. And that slowly then built to asking those friends' parents of mine for referrals of other people that they may know in their neighborhood or at work. And then it continued to snowball. I think I remember going to flea markets when I was a kid and there would always be the Cutco knife stand set up and did they train you on the routine of you're supposed to slice the piece of paper and slice the tomato and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a training that they teach you how to cut the penny with the scissors and they teach you how to cut the rope with a specific knife and everything like that. And so it's a pretty hard thing, you know, um, thousands upon thousands of people go through it per year. The drop off rate of people that even sell $1,000, I think like 90 something percent don't even sell $1,000. It's a pretty difficult thing to do. I bet that 90% ends up with knives for life in their cupboard. They do. So you need to start off by buying the set that you demo with. And so a lot of people out there, they have their demo set still, which actually ends up being a great investment. But fortunately for me, I had to find a way to be successful at it due to some of the situations of our home front that I grew up in. And so it was a neat, a neat journey for me. As you reflect on selling knives, what was the biggest thing you learned about sales in that job? That it's a personal mindset thing, right? So whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, either way, you're right. And so it all started really with me believing in my own self, that I actually had the capabilities, that I actually had the know-how, that I actually had the intelligence, that I had the drive, the grit to actually do what could be done. And so that was kind of the big thing was that it all started with a belief in myself. That was probably the biggest takeaway. And just that you can accomplish anything that you put your mind to as long as you do the work that's necessary in order to get there. When you're hiring for people now, is that something you still look for in people? And how do you test for it if you do? Absolutely, it is. Um, I've hired many people that have had the enterprise sales pedigree of a long history of being extremely successful with very high compensation. And during those interview processes, sometimes in the early days, I would forget to look for that drive piece or that grit piece. And what I came to find out is that if they don't have that, especially in our hyper growth business of DocuSign, right, they're just not the right fit. There's some great research that shows that grit, which has been studied, I think, by Angela Duckworth, and others, as well as intelligence and conscientiousness, that those factors really drive success in the job. Those things really resonate. Absolutely. When you ask salespeople, enterprise salespeople, I guess, in an interview to demonstrate a deal that they struggled with, it seems like that question comes up in a lot of interviews. The good answer is right. I struggled with this deal and then I won it. Have you ever had a bad answer to that question? Yeah. A lot of times it's just a very shallow, quick answer. I just always respond back with, Tell me a little bit more about that. Tell me a little bit more. And then a lot of times you'll see that the story started out at 10,000 feet high. And many leaders who are interviewing, they'll just take that answer and they'll go to the next question. So what I really try to do is just like, no, no, walk me through like specifically like what happened. And so rather than just kind of accepting the 
30,000 foot high example of how driven they are and how they've demonstrated their grit or their pursuit of excellence, I really try to get to the specific nitty gritty examples. And you could quickly determine how accurate and real the story is to determine their drive or not. So you started out selling Cutco knives in high school. I presume that helped fund your time through the University of Alabama. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I was the number one salesperson in the company for a couple of years. And that was able to provide me substantial income at a young age that I never could have imagined, which was able to fund my out-of-state tuition at the University of Alabama for those four years. Uh, That's awesome. So when you graduated, where did you go next? When I graduated, I had a job offer on Wall Street. So I accepted that job offer. But along the way, I met someone that was one of the quasi board of trustees at the University of Alabama that he owned a couple of service companies in Houston, Texas. He really challenged me of saying, hey, if you're selling Cutco Knives and you've been able to build your own business selling Cutco Knives, you're an entrepreneur. You're not called to Wall Street. And he really encouraged me to come and work with him to build companies in Houston, Texas. So I actually declined a Wall Street offer and went to Houston to work in these service-based companies that he created and bought in Houston. That was a very, very short stint, Jeremy. And I think the reason why is our values just did not align, which was kind of my first lesson of realizing that you need to be equally yoked to people that you're in business with, that you share the same common traits and values and principles. You know, I worked for a, at a single, you know, large enterprise, multi-billion dollar company for a number of years and had a great experience there. Eventually, I burned out and decided to go into not-for-profit briefly and then a, a few other things. And I was hunting for a place that really shared the values that I have. When I look for a new job, I, that's something I look for is to really deeply validate that the senior leadership is walking the walk. It's difficult to find. I think that we've seen a lot of flourishment and a lot of enrichment in the last couple of years of companies that say there needs to be a bigger purpose and reason and why that we exist, right? It can't simply be to provide a good service. So we want to enrich the lives of our employees. We want to create a place where people really thrive, where people learn. We want to have a place that gives back to others that are less fortunate than we are, right? Put that all together. And what actually tends to happen is you're actually able to recruit and bring on a higher talented individuals across the board because they want to be something bigger than themselves, right? And so you look at these legacy enterprise companies that are trying to figure out how do we transform and modernize ourselves because you have the sales loss and the docu-signs that are giving their employees X number of days to volunteer. They're giving X number of their profits back to charities. They're having this sort of healthy environment where their people could learn and thrive in tools and resources, et cetera, right? There's advancement opportunities. They're encouraging them to go home early to spend more time with their family, right? The day and age we're in right now, there's a lot of flourishment and a good line in sight of where a lot of these companies are trying to go around that. All right. So you found the service companies and it wasn't your groove. So where to next? Went out to um, Silicon Valley, wasn't a tech guy at all. My father-in-law was encouraging me to go into tech. He said, if you could sell knives, well, you should sell a higher ticket item, right? I met a CEO of a company called Wise, uh, W-Y-S-C. And he encouraged me and he said, Alexander the Great was able to conquer the world at 19 years old. 
believe in yourself and maybe you could conquer something a lot bigger than Cutco Knives, come join our team. We're going to do great things. And so I joined that company, Wise Technology. I mean, he gave me a great opportunity and he's still a mentor till today. About a year later, we sold Wise to Dell Computers. So that's what happened. I went to Wise to be a sales manager. We got acquired by Dell. Then that same CEO gave me the opportunity to be his chief of staff at Dell. So then I was the chief of staff at Dell. And that was a great opportunity to learn a lot of other things besides sales, more so internal operations and everything else. Can you talk a little bit more about what, what you were able to do in that role? Really, you could think about it as an extension of the CEO or a trusted advisor to the CEO. Our CEO had so many things on his plate. He had so many meetings, so many phone calls, external trips, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of the things were items that he should have been outsourcing to someone else to manage and control so that he could open up more of his time to be strategic and think. A lot of things were things that he just needed to follow up on. A lot of things were preparing for board meetings or preparing for internal meetings, getting health checks of where projects stood, et cetera. So the way that we said it is I was his trusted advisor. I was his eyes and ears. And I kind of took all the items on his plate that were not mission critical to him. And I went in his place. I would then report back to him every morning and every evening to let him know what happened. And if it was worth his time, then he would get involved and make a decision. Well, it sounds like not only an incredible experience operating, but also learning in the process. So I'll ask you that same question, which is, you know, as you reflect on your time at WISE, what was your key learning there? At WISE, I was very young. I thought I knew it all to be very transparent. And so I was definitely in water over my head. I should by have no means been a chief of staff to the CEO. But what I realized kind of during that stint was I'm always going to be learning. And this is a constant journey of learning. And so that was the big thing was never think that I've hit the destination. It's a constant pursuit of learning. That was a big takeaway. And then the other big takeaway that I truly learned, I was part of a kind of Navy SEAL team that was responsible for the integration of WISE, which Dell bought for over a billion dollars into their cloud group. The big learning there was how do you integrate two teams globally? So there was just a lot of learnings tactically. So I really got to just see kind of a different part of the business of what happens, especially on the integration. The biggest thing that I learned from that is during the first six months to a year, just sit back and just learn and listen. As bad as you want to go in and make all these different changes from everything that you see from their sales to product, operations, to marketing, to everything, just sit back and listen because the decisions that you thought that you ought to make from the beginning might actually fall to the bottom of the list and things that you did not even think were a problem, you might quickly realize are now on the top of the list. The thoughtful listening, I think, is a hallmark of a lot of great leaders. What were the other things that you sort of took away as leadership lessons from Michael Dell? So many. I mean, he is such a tremendous leader and visionary entrepreneur. Probably the biggest thing that I learned is his famous quote of never be the smartest person in the room. Every meeting that he's in, he is constantly learning in it. So he's constantly looking for different perspectives and different opinions so that he could best actually make the judgment of what might be best for the company. 
The other thing is he's always looking ahead. So although that he's learning from the past of what Dell was in terms of a PC company and in terms of what they currently are and were at the time of now offering services and software, he was always looking ahead at what the next paradigm shift was. And he just has a very unique ability to not get stuck in the past or the present, but really focus on the future. The last part is that he really allows his teams to operate. He's just a true leader that he hires the best people and allows them to do their job. So you're in that chief of staff role there, and that finally brings us to your current employer, to DocuSign. So you transition in the latter part of 2014 over to DocuSign. What brought you there? Yeah, so one of our board members at Wise, his venture capital firm also invested in DocuSign. And so the CEO and chairman at the time of DocuSign was a gentleman by the name of Keith Kroc, very, very well-known entrepreneur and pretty much a legendary icon in Silicon Valley from what he's been able to build. So he was looking for a new chief of staff. So this venture capital firm put me in touch with Keith. Keith and I had a meeting and Keith was very skeptical at my age that I was chief of staff for Dell. I think about the Cutco story was really what kind of got him interested. And his big ask was kind of two asks. One ask was, well, I want to meet the CEO that you've been the chief of staff for for the last couple of years. And two is I would like to see if Michael Dell could get involved with DocuSign. So can you make both of those happen? And that was kind of his test. And completely by luck, the day of my interview, my CEO at Dell was having a reception at the St. Regis Hotel that night. And so I told Keith Kroc, I go, well, he's actually having a reception tonight at St. Regis. And Keith is like, you got to be kidding me. That's where I live. And Keith told me, I have a dinner tonight at the St. Regis, pull me out of that dinner at 8 p.m. and then take me up to the reception so I can meet your CEO. Amazing. So I pull Keith out of that dinner and another serendipitous thing, he's having dinner with one of my mentors, Pat Gelsinger, the CEO at VMware. And so he's having dinner with Pat at the St. Regis there and Pat sees me walk and he's like, Mike, are, are we supposed to meet right now or why are you here? I'm like, I'm actually here to grab Keith and Keith is like, how do you know Pat? And, and then, so Pat's actually an investor of DocuSign. And so it was the perfect storm, actually. And then later on, after that, Michael Dell actually ended up being one of our largest personal investors of DocuSign. So it was a perfect storm, and that's where I got the opportunity. What was it like when you got there, and what was the vision of where you and the team wanted to take things in terms of enterprise selling? It was just seeing how the sales organization was ran. During the days that I got there, we had a very well-balanced type of machine in the commercial space. So uh, DocuSign goes to market in three different capacities. One is kind of the self-service model that individuals and business owners, real estate agents, et cetera, lawyers go online every day and they spend $20, $30 a month, et cetera, to buy DocuSign. Then we have the second stream of our commercial organization. These are predominantly inside sales representatives. It's a high transactional business. And we really did not have an enterprise segment at all. We dabbled in it, but we never were enterprise ready. And what we realized was our competition at the time, they got acquired by a much larger company that was predominantly focused on enterprise. So we started realizing on some sales cycles that our customers were actually going with the competition instead of going through DocuSign. 
And so really the question was, how do we stand up an enterprise sales organization? What are some of the key areas of investment that we could dive into that, that matter as you make that change from commercial to enterprise? Some of the big investments that we made were actual enterprise sales account executives. So we had to make the investment of recruiting from the cloud ecosystem, the companies that we all know, the Salesforce, the Microsoft, the Googles, the SAPs, Oracles, et cetera. We had to get the proper technical resources, the sales engineers, right, that were very highly trained to actually know the solutions and how they actually integrate to all the other systems. We had to build out an organization of value engineers. That is how we actually quantify the value that our customers will receive by utilizing DocuSign within their processes, areas such as account management. So maintaining the customer success of our organization, professional services, of making sure that we had a way of driving actual success and implementations and getting our solutions up and running. And then a lot of kind of the go-to-market of are we going to go to market via vertical or is it going to be more so a geography type of approach? A lot of smaller companies, right, or companies who are up and coming and moving from the commercial into the enterprise space, try to take their commercial AEs and move them into enterprise roles. And they often struggle for a variety of the reasons that you cited of missing pieces. But assuming, as you said, you need to hire some enterprise AEs, what do you look for in those candidates? I look for the impossibles, right? So I look for the, uh, the candidates that everyone says that there's no chance that we're ever going to get them. We want to start there. So we want to start with those that are absolutely too content where they're at, that are making too much money where they're at, that they have no reason to leave. So we always go for those A++ candidates. That's where we start. We really are strategic on how we get to those candidates. So we try not to do the traditional cold approach of having one of our recruiters send them an email or just sending them a LinkedIn approach. So if it's somebody that we're trying to speak to at company ABC, we will traditionally see if we know someone that is mutually connected to that person that is not at their company. And I'll typically call that mutual connection that we have through LinkedIn is where I find if we have a mutual connection. And I'll just call him and I'll say, do you know John Smith? What do you think of John Smith? Have you seen that he is an expert in enterprise sales? Does he have drive? Does he have the skills? It looks like he has the experience. Does he have the humility, right? And if he does, I'd say, do you mind putting a little text message in play with us? And I traditionally ask for a text message, Jeremy, just because it makes it a lot more informal and personable than email. I'll just keep it short and I'll say, John, we're hiring more people here at DocuSign. It's a great opportunity. We went public uh, last year. We're growing like crazy in our telecom, media, and utility space. Uh, I would love to just learn more about what you're doing at company ABC, even if it's not the right timing. Besides the word of mouth of somebody saying that this is a great salesperson or sales leader, what are the traits or characteristics or backgrounds that you look for when you're hiring for an enterprise seller? I exhaust it with speaking over the phone, speaking over video call, and always flying out to visit them in person, right? And doing a dinner with them. I've learned a lot from people in terms of seeing how they are at dinner. And I know we've heard about this many times in sales, but what's their demeanor 
when they arrive to the restaurant, I always arrive early. So I see what their demeanor is to the hostess, right? Um, I see if they're being rushed in. I see how they are to the waiter. I see how they order. I see if they ask me to order first or if they order. I see if they're in a rush. I see if they look at their phone. I, I see their kind of demeanor of, of passion if I ask them about their family or their kids. So really, you learn a lot about somebody, of how they're going to react on the field by how they react off the field. Right? So that's something that I do. The other thing is I get different perspectives. So I know who a lot of my internal trusted constituents are in different virtual groups of mine, right? And I get their perspectives. And I say, hey, I want you to speak to John Smith. I'm not going to tell you anything about John Smith. And just let me know your thoughts afterwards, right? And so I try to get different eyes and different views and not give it a biased opinion whatsoever. You know, one thing I test on, I'm curious if you do or not, or I think deeply about is basically, has this person done this motion before? And what I mean by the motion, right, is, you know, if you're selling 100K to 300K price point, has this person sold in that range? Like, I really want to see that they've done that motion before. Is that critical to you? Or will you take people from the, I'll call it the minor leagues into the major leagues? Some of the most successful people that we've had at DocuSign have never uh, been in the major leagues and they were in the minor leagues. Right, and they've closed instrumental deals that have moved the needle for the company. And it's predominantly because they wanted to prove to themselves and prove to the company of look at what I can do. Right, I'm worthy. I have the ability. I have a know-how. I have the grit, and I will not give up until I get this done. And then you have other people that they've been in the majors for a long time. Right, they are the Derek Jeters of the industry, and you know that you could count on them. And so a lot of times. I will really see what is the specific role that we're hiring for? What is that territory comprised of? And what do we think could actually be appropriate in that territory or not? With the right coaching and with the right humility and with the right drive and with the right skills, they can be successful. And it sounds like you really do surround your people with a team that helps them be successful, right? In particular, you've got those technical resources, sales engineers, value engineers, other executives who get involved in more complex deals. So I would assume that's a big part of the success as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It starts from the top. And so that's why I keep talking about one of the core things I look for whenever hiring somebody is humility. If they don't have that humility, they think they could do everything on their own, which is obviously going to be a detriment to their success. We're talking about building an enterprise sales muscle. What kind of one or two or three key takeaways from our conversation or even something outside of a conversation you want to leave the listeners with if they're trying to make that move either as an organization or as an individual from mid-market or commercial into enterprise? One is not better than the other. They're just two completely different paths and two different journeys, right? So some people may feel absolutely called and that they could flourish in commercial and stay in commercial and execute that with excellence, right? Um, and that is absolutely fantastic. Um, they may feel that they are better in a transactional business, and they may feel that they are better of working centrally and managing a larger territory of customers. Um, so don't feel the guilt or the heaviness or the burden of saying, I must go into enterprise, right? However, if you do have the appetite to go into enterprise, Absolutely always be a student, knowing that it is a journey. It's not a destination, so you're always going to learn a lot. Surround yourself with other people that have been in the major leagues for a while because they will share a lot of their battle scars with you of what they've learned, 
And then probably the other takeaway is the humility that you cannot do it on your own in the enterprise. You must have the humility to bring other people alongside you that could help you accomplish the goal that you're trying to strive for. When you do start to experience success in enterprise, right? Always put the team over yourself, right? Never give yourself the pat on the back. Always lift up others because what that will do is that will just motivate your team and your coworkers or your virtual team to work even harder on the next go around, on the next cycle to actually go out there and fight for you rather than you kind of bringing them along the journey, you getting the win and then you saying, hey, look at me, look at me, right? Always just be very, very, hungry to get more knowledge and wisdom, right? I constantly am just reading books. So although I know that I said that for me, the Bible has been the place where I've learned the most leadership lessons, right? I mean, I'm constantly hearing the ideal team player or five dysfunctions of a team or Jim Collins, right? Or I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So I'm always just learning more. And then really just put a goal out there for yourself that is big, hairy and audacious. Don't compare yourself against your quota. Compare and stack rank yourself against your potential, right? So what is your potential? Put out that number out there, that goal out there, and then work backwards. What would have to be true? That's a question that my team tells me I say way too much. What would have to be true in order for us to get to that actual goal or that number? And then from there, then you'll actually quickly realize that it is possible. Don't compare yourself to your quota. Compare yourself to your potential. That's an absolutely brilliant way to end. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Can you let the listeners know how best to connect with you if they want to join your team or ask you further questions? You could send me an email at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Arrieta, A-R-R-I-E-T-A at DocuSign.com. Or you could also shoot me an email at my personal email address, which is Mike, M-I-K-E at Mav, M-A-V, mavpartners.com. And I'd be happy to connect to you and help you any way I can. Thank you, Jeremy. I love what you guys are doing at Sales Lots. You guys are really changing the way that sales teams are pursuing their goals and building a platform for sales teams to engage. So what you guys are doing is absolutely the most innovative thing I've seen in the sales arena in quite some time. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from Salesloft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopento. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thank you for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.